We're talking about the Holy Spirit and the advantage of knowing Him, the advantage that Christ set in place. It's good that I go, I can send my Spirit. And we've got to know that the Holy Spirit isn't a force, an idea, or an Asian lady in a garden, for those who read the book. The Holy Spirit is a real person. When I refer to the book, for clarity, it's the shack. Is a real person. It's part of the Godhead. He walks with us, he lives within us, and he rests upon us. And my prayer this morning is that you will feel him walking next to you as we read the word. That you would understand that he wills to come, the king of glory, through the power of his spirit, wills to come and stand at your door and says, all this glory, she said, I get to choose where I want to dwell, it would be right in your heart. That is amazing. Jesus says, I'm going back to my father to prepare a place for you. In my father's house, there are many rooms. Those many rooms to refer to us, the souls that's gonna be with him in eternity, where we just gotta to get to enjoy him. And we've gotta understand that right in the beginning, God designed us as humans to walk with us. And we've, we've missed it through sin and brokenness, but he's restored it. And the Holy Spirit is here this morning to be within us, to be with us and to be upon us with his power. I have two goals this morning as I share the word. The first is this one, to discover that the glorious, indescribable spirit of almighty God chooses to dwell in you. He chooses to. And my second study this morning with you is that he, the Holy Spirit, empowers us to be a welcome home for him to dwell in. This is the beauty of the gospel. God desires for us to be a clean house where the dust is taken away because he chooses to dwell in us with his spirit. And at the same time, he empowers us how to do it. So this morning, it's a message of hope that maybe you feel like, wow, it's quite dusty inside here. I can't say my life is a sanctuary, a place of resting for God, a place where he is worshiped fully. I'm gonna show you this morning how the Holy Spirit gives you the ability to have a space like that inside yourself. So we pray this morning, Lord, as we open your word and we read together that you would speak to us. Holy Spirit, anoint your word and let it be you speaking. I avail myself to listen to you and to rightly divide your word of truth so that it brings life. I pray this morning, Lord, that the, Enemy won't come and steal as the word is sown onto ground. I pray, Lord, that it won't take a quick blossom but a small root, but it would take deep roots. And we pray, Lord, that the cares of this world wouldn't smother your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn your Bibles with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, our main text for this morning. We're going to be all over the Bible today, quite a lot of reading but that's what we're about. We're about the word of God. So we're gonna read and it'll be up on the screen from verse nine. Just a bit of context. Paul is speaking to the church in Corinth and he reminds them of the importance of the work of leadership. He says, I've come and Apollos has come and others have come and we've laid a foundation. And that foundation is Jesus. But we wanna encourage you how you build on that foundation. So let's read together verse nine. For we, and he speaks about the apostles and the leaders, are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. 
According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If anyone's work is burned up, if the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. But if anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of the world is folly with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, but they are futile. Well, Paul is really, really speaking strongly to the church. He says, we've done so much in laying the right foundation. Why don't you make sure that everything you build upon it is glorious? That the king of glory would want to dwell there. You see, you could build with hay and wood and straw and it would be a strong house and it would stand because there's a foundation of Christ. But you could choose to build with precious stones and gold and silver. And on that day, the day that Jesus comes and he brings his fire with to test the church the wood and the hay and the straw is gonna burn away. You will be saved because you've built on the foundation of Jesus. But there's a greater option for us to choose. And I'm praying that we as people would, would be the ones to say, wow, God, when I think about the house I'm building and for you to dwell in, I am gonna give you my best. I'm gonna use the best precious stones, the best material possible. Because one day when you come, you're not only coming to taste, but you're coming to reward Last year, we did an amazing series about living with eternity perspective, understanding that our life here will end, but we are building for the future when we're going to be in the presence of God in heaven one day when Jesus returns. And Paul encourages us and says, you are God's temple, and God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. So make sure that you, like God's temple, is set aside. And this is one of the things in the the understanding of the Holy Spirit that we've got to get, that he is called the Holy Spirit. Massive holy. I've got a slide for that. <laughs> Smaller print, spirit. He desires a place. He desires a people. He desires a heart and a soul where there's holiness and the dust has wiped out so that he can come and fully dwell inside of it. It's an amazing thought to think that the living God chooses to come and dwell inside us. We are all temples. Look to the person next to you and say, you're a temple. It's not a word we use much in our world today, unless you may be from another country like India, and I'm gonna speak about India in a little bit. 
But you're a house, you're a sanctuary, you're a dwelling place for the Spirit of Almighty God. Isn't that glorious? Isn't that amazing? I, I kind of feel like I want to pause and let us think about that for an hour. We've got some time, don't we? You see, we are all temples, but we've got to be set apart temples, holy, clean, building with the right things so that the King of glory can come and dwell within us. Paul questions and challenges them on their construction. Make sure how you built. Make sure that every stone you lay is, is done in a way that will honor him because there's gonna be a big inspection in the future. And the Bible is full of this. It's in Malachi 3, it's in 2 Corinthians 6, it's in Hebrews 12, 2 Timothy 2, it's in, in the book of Revelation. God's going to come one day and there's going to be an inspect, inspection on our homes and how we hosted him. And then out of that, he will reward us. We are saved because the foundation of Jesus is there. And this is what I want you to get, that once you come to Christ, you are saved. And he takes you from a grave and he wants you to be a temple. But so many of us still live like a grave. Just Jesus took all our graves upon him so that we could be a glorious temple displaying his glory to the world. The entire place that you found yourself in before you came to Christ, he's redeemed, he's come in and he's made clean. He says, but I don't want you to be a grave, I want you to be a temple. I wanna tell you a story about the Taj Mahal Anyone seen the Taj Mahal in real life? See if there's some, that's great. So I'm a little bit in, in the moment person, I guess. Um, I enjoy history. I love biblical history, but I'm not the kind of person that goes to museums and exactly knows what has happened before I even go into the museum. Um, so, but I remember years back that I did a, a quick study on the seven man-made wonders of the world. And out of the seven, the Taj Mahal was the one that I thought, eesh, if I can see this one, must be amazing. So Helena and I spent a couple of months in the Seychelles in our early years of marriage, and that wasn't for honeymooning, it was for working. We were working as musicians at a six-star resort for six months. It was a terrible, long six months. I don't want to get into that, but somewhere during the summer, like, you know, the Seychelles kind of feels closer to India. Imagine we can get on a ship we were thinking like, I don't know how this would work. Imagine we can get on a ship and sail to India and go and explore India. Little did I know how big India is, and I haven't done much research, but the amazing thing was in that time, God started giving us a heart for the nation of India without us knowing. We had some Indian friends at the resort that we worked with, but it was many years later that I had the opportunity to go to the Taj Mahal. We were staying in Delhi, and the Taj Mahal is in Agra, which is quite a distance drive. I think it's 200 kilometers but anyone who's been to India would know that 200 kilometers can take you up to eight hours, maybe 10. And here was I, excited because I'm going to see the Taj Mahal. Couldn't wait for it. Couldn't, couldn't get my excitement. I was up first in the morning, and, and some people actually stayed to not go because they, they weren't in the mood for the trip. Like, no, I've got to see the Taj Mahal. I mean, it's one of the seven man-made wonders of the world. And we ended up in the taxi. It's a taxi that takes seven people, but we were eight. Hello, India. <laughs> and I ended up in the back corner sitting like this and underneath me was the bend for the tire so I sat like this for eight hours and at some point I was weeping and suffering 
And I was crying out to Jesus like, this is so painful. Honestly, I turned to Charles, my brother-in-law, and said, this better be worth it because I'm in so much agony. And you don't stop for a quick stretch of legs. You just, we're going, Tashmal, we've got to go. It's got to happen. So after eight terrible, excruciating hours and me feeling sorry for myself, and I literally remember, I did cry. It was so painful. And you're tired. We just flew in the night before. It's still jet lagged. I thought to myself, wow, this place better be worth it. At some point, I told him, I'm, I'm actually sorry that I came on this trip. So we were coming close, and then kind of in the horizon, we saw it for the first time. And then immediately that anticipation and that excitement started rising up. We're going to see the Taj Mahal. And, like, and we're all looking. We're trying to see it. And the, the short of the long is eventually we got to it. And you stand in long queues, and it's 40 degrees, and it's hot, and you're bothered, and you're still in pain. But you're going to see the Taj Mahal, and we're going to see the inside. Now, my reference of what I was going to see in the inside was built upon some castles that I've seen before in Europe with my parents. Where you walk into a castle, and it's just, it's beautiful. The chandeliers, the, the, the precious stones, the gold, the silver. And after we've put these little white things on our, over our shoes so that we can keep the Taj Mahal, the beautiful palace, now stay with me, that I imagine it's going to be to see it clean. I had some Aladdin pictures in my brain. I'm going to see a tiger on a red carpet. <laughs> And it's just going to be glorious, the peacocks walking around. Eventually, I got in sight, and we saw this. Two graves. And I felt cheated. You're telling me, and then someone said, didn't you know that it's a grave? I'm like, no, no one told me that. It's the Taj Mahal. It's the Palace of India. It is the place that everyone, why would every, anyone even, so this guy, I don't know his name, took him 21 years, this is true, you can check the facts, 827 million US dollars, 21 years, to build a grave that 7 to 8 million of people visit every year. Yes, and I thought about that this week. What would it look like if people come to us as followers of Jesus and they expect a palace, but at closer inspection, they find a grave? Do we live such glorious lives? Do we speak about Jesus and his kingdom in a way that people are like, I've got to inspect that a little bit more? It sounds like a wonder of the world. Eliana thinks I'm one of the seven wonders of the world, so that's great. <laughs> But do they look at us as followers of Jesus like, you know what, Anne lives gloriously. It's so wonderful. I wanna, I wanna go and inspect that. And the question I ask myself, Holy Spirit, will they find a grave? Or will they find precious stones, silver and gold? And this is what Paul is speaking to us about in this passage. He says this, that anyone who destroys the temple, the house of God, the sanctuary, will himself be destroyed. The original word there, the Greek word, which I'm not going to pronounce, it's really a difficult one. For the word destroy, it means to move down from a higher quality or level to something lesser. So God is saying, even if you just drop the standard a little bit, it equals destruction. In my view, because I want to dwell there. Not because 
I'm a God who's just all about judgment, but I'm jealous for you. I don't want you to lower the standard because I want to dwell there. I want to come in my fullness and live inside you. So don't lower the standard so that the king of glory can come. Don't settle for a lesser level when you house the greatest guest. And this is, this is the first part of the message that I wanted to discover with you, that the spirit of God wants to dwell in you. It's clear throughout the word. And he's saying, don't destroy what my cross has brought. Jesus came and he took us from our graves and he says, I'm gonna turn this grave around and it's gonna become a temple. Beating after beating, lash after lash, mocking after mocking, shout after shout, he was thinking, I'm turning graves into a house of God. I'm turning graves into the house of God. He was seeing your face and thinking about you and your, your, your darkness. He said, I'm gonna move you into light and turn you into a place where I love to dwell. I thought about Jesus this week. It was up to me. After one lash, I would have just been done. Oh, thank you very much. World saved, over and done with. Think about it. Just one lash, a Roman lash on your back. They just kept going. And he was thinking to himself, I'm turning graves into a sanctuary for my father. That's how much he loves us. That's why he's jealous for us. Here's the second part of our discovery this morning. Not only is that his desire, and not only is he saying, make sure that you don't lower the standard, because it equals destruction. I'm actually going to put my spirit in you, which is going to help you to do this. This is the beautiful message of the gospel. It is really not up to us. Jesus comes and he, he, he takes us out of our grave and he says, you are a house of God but I'm gonna give you everything inside of it to be able to live in a way that I love to dwell there. That's the beauty of it. It's, it's not just that, that he comes and he says, well, you choose and now it's all up to you and then it becomes a, a work-based following of Christ again. It's all because of what we do. He says, no, 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 the helper is gonna be in you and he's gonna come and he's gonna sweep. He's gonna bring the broom. I love that image. And he's just gonna take the dust away. Will you allow him to do that? Three thoughts. The first one is the one of control. How does the Spirit empower us to be that house? Because if it's not entirely up to us and there is the Holy Spirit, and that's why it's an advantage to know him, because he will actually enable you to live such a life which is just precious stones and gold and silver. How does he do it? And it's first of all through the concept of taking control. It's the, the whole idea of him coming to you and say, you know what, up until this point, your life was pretty much your own and you, you handled it and, and you decided which way to go. But now that the foundation of Jesus Christ is laid and you turned your grave into a temple, I want to take control and run the matters and the affairs of this house. Isn't that beautiful? He says, you know what, actually you take back seat. It's like, you don't have to drive the car. I'll do it for you. And that's where so many of us miss it. We try and do it out of our own strength. And then we fall short, and yes, we do because we're humans. I fell short terribly this week in so many ways. But then I just went back and I said, you know what, Holy Spirit, maybe, 
Maybe I took control over that thing. I didn't let you run the affairs of my house. The scripture says it like this. But you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the spirit if you have the spirit of God living in you. Isn't that beautiful? So we've got to then stop and ask the question, if I'm still being controlled by the sinful nature, then Holy Spirit, how much of you are truly living in me? So come and cleanse again and take it away and really come and dwell with your fullness inside of me and take control. It's a lordship matter. Yes, we want to come to Jesus as Savior, but the Bible speaks much more about him as Lord. It's saying, you know what, now that I get to be a house and a dwelling place for God most high, I'm gonna lose control, pun intended, both ways. Lose control over everything and lose control with the fire and a zeal and a passion for the kingdom. So the first thing is the area of control. See, the spirit is at war with the flesh, the Bible says, but the spirit wants to keep the hand on the steer and determine our right and our left moves every single day. And it's then up to us to make that decision. We've got a will that God has empowered us with. So he's saying, foundation laid, spirit come, yet you still get to choose whether you're gonna quench the Holy Spirit or whether you're gonna fan the flame of his power in your life. The second thing that's important is conviction, and I love this. The advocate is traveling with us the Holy Spirit, we studied this over the past two weeks. He's on our side. And if you think about the term of an advocate today, an advocate is there to find out and declare whether someone is guilty. Well, the advocate of the Holy Spirit is imminent in every situation. We said this two weeks ago to help you make the right judgment call. So not only is he taking control, he now says, now that I'm in control of your house, you're gonna walk and you're gonna have to make a decision. And I'm right here. If you would just ask me, I'll tell you what the right thing is to do. Can we take two minutes in our rushed world of busyness before we make a phone call, before we say words that's filled with death and judgment, before we look at something on our phone that's not meant to be in the temple of the most high God? Can we take two minutes and say, Holy Spirit, you are in control and I'm trying to take the control back here, so would you just convict me again of sin and righteousness and judgment? That's what it says. Jesus says this, but in fact, it's to your advantage that I go away because if I don't, the advocate won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you and when he comes, he will convict the world of sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. John 16, verse seven to eight, the words of Jesus. I, I really, I'm, I'm, I'm undone to think that he really has given us everything we need for godliness. Yet we choose the opposite route. Because we're living in this illusion that it's foolish to be abandoned to the most high God. Can we see the opposite side of the picture where God looks at the wisdom of this world, this age, the things, the stuff, the ideas, the concepts, 
And he says, folly. And then he says, I don't want you to walk in folly. I'm going to walk with you. And every time that temptation sticks out his head, I'm going to be to tell you, oh, oh, go this way. I'm going to bring my conviction to you. Do you love conviction? Something I had to ask myself. What would it look like if I completely embraced it every single time? I'll be fully free. I'll be fully let, let, let aside from the flesh and the nature because the Holy Spirit is there and he helps me. Oftentimes when I spend, spend time with men who battle with the things they look at or their thoughts, I tell them that the mountain of temptation are, is only two minutes high. Yes, there's a mountain of temptation ahead of you, but it'll take you two minutes to get over it. Just change your environment. Grab a piece of cheese from the fridge or something to eat and drink. Put down what you need to put down and walk outside and in two minutes, that conviction will be there. Can we be a two-minute people who walk like that? Who not let the busyness or when you see that thing on the movie, you're just like, this is vulgar. Switch it off. Because I'm not gonna let the temple of God be defiled by the folly of this world. That's the desire that he has for us. The fullness and the glory, the king of glory wants to dwell inside of us. Can we walk in conviction? Because out of that conviction will come a joy and a peace and a celebration to think that in this world, we look like a glorious Taj Mahal on the outside, but on the inside, 100 times better. That's the call of God and the power of the Holy Spirit working within us. And then ultimately, he's a cleansing fire. And this is beautiful. And I want you to see the patience of God. The Bible is full of this concept. The Holy Spirit is often revealed in fire. Malachi 3, prophecy about Jesus and his spirit gonna come to us. He says, behold, I will send my messenger and he will prepare the way. I'm gonna come, but I'm gonna send someone first that's gonna prepare the way. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. Who's his temple today? That's us. It's not this building. It's not a palace. It's us. He will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. There it is, in whom you delight. Do we delight in God so much that he can suddenly come to this temple and investigate? He says this, but who can endure the day of his coming? This is what's echoed in 1 Corinthians 3. That day is gonna come. Who can endure it? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire, not an incarcerating fire that burns everything away and we can't exist, not like a wildfire in the forest that just keeps running, a refining fire that just works at the right thing at the right time in the right place and cleanses and cleanses. And he is like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver and they will bring offering in righteousness to the Lord. Get this this morning. And not only is he saying, I'm taking control, not only is he saying, I'm gonna walk with you and convict you when things come your way, I'm gonna patiently sit. Not standing, not busy, I'm gonna sit with you. 
And my fire is gonna burn on you. I'm gonna keep doing it, and it's painful. Letting go of those things that we count so precious is often so painful. But you know what a refiner of silver does? He lets that silver burn on the flame until he sees his reflection in it. Isn't that beautiful? So the Holy Spirit's conviction comes and he, and he works. He says, Pierre, not this way. Don't say that. Apologize for that thing. Rather walk out of the movie. It's not worth it. Rather think good thoughts about that individual than your judgmental heart. And he keeps doing it. He's sitting with patience. Hebrews 12 speaks about this. Let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. I want you to think one more time about this concept of being a temple. From a grave, Jesus took every beating. He went the full way so that we can be a house of God. And he says, you know what? I give you the spirit that takes control of that affairs of that house, that convicts you, but comes and with my broom brushes out the dust and cleanses and cleanses and cleanses and cleanses until my full reflection is seen upon you. That's why the Bible says, be holy as my Father in heaven is holy. We can reach that place. Yes, we'll make mistakes for as long as we live. Don't mishear me this morning. We'll make mistakes for as long as we live. But in that mistake making, he's saying, hey, hey, let's work on this one. So that next time you do it a little bit better. And he burns away the things that's not of him until he sees our reflection. He says, yeah, well done. There's a place that I want to dwell. There's a place and a person and a, and, a, and a heart that I want to reward when I return. And out of that, the book of Hebrews, it says, so let us then offer to God acceptable worship. Let the courts of the temple of our hearts be filled with awe and praise to this Holy Spirit dwelling in us. You are always in a temple, therefore always worship. We cut it down in our culture to the 20 minutes of music. Worship is all of life. And the temple of God moves wherever you move. Three simple thoughts that I wanna end with this morning is, don't take back control. Embrace every conviction. And let your life be cleansed with the cleansing fire of the Holy Spirit. That's the invitation to all of us. First question I asked is, do you believe that the Almighty God and His splendor, His majesty, His full glory wants to come and reside in you as a temple? If you believe that, say yes. Do you understand that His Spirit through control, conviction, and cleansing actually empowers you to be that temple. If you believe that, say yes.